So we have a team of video journalists who look for the stories and I would say we source them from everywhere and anywhere. Can be the chicken rice uncle you talk to when you're buying your lunch, can be from the internet, uh, it can be from the network that we build. So uh, there isn't really one place to get the stories. Most of the time, the thing is about being very capable and going to look for the stories. So I think when we are out, we are always looking up for things and questioning things. So we are all just very capable. If you are capable, you will find stories. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 37 of the So This Is My Why podcast. I'm your host and producer, Ling Ya, and today's guest is Eng Kaiyuan, one of four co-founders at Our Grandfather Story, a Singapore-based digital publisher dedicated to uncovering timeless and overlooked stories across Southeast Asia. One of the most intriguing things about Our Grandfather Story all four co-founders were college mates at Nanyang Technological University. Their very first video under OGS was created as part of their school assignment on rainbow ice cream bread. To everyone's surprise, that simple but poignant video went completely viral, and these four friends decided to just keep going. Creating video after video, they attracted investors while still in college, and have never looked back since. In this episode, Kanyan shares how it all began, the early days of building OGS, how they uncover untold stories. I mean, let's face it, how do you find stories that haven't even been told or are overlooked? As well as how they have expanded to include an animation arm, a podcast called Something Private, and one of my favorites, Can Ask Me? Where they ask questions of people that as Asians, we would, well, rarely dare to ask. Like finding love in an arranged marriage. Survivors of sexual violence and parents who have lost a child. But before we begin, if you've been enjoying this podcast and you want an easy way to support it, please leave a review on iTunes. It's probably the best way for others to find the show and I would really appreciate it. Now, are you ready? Let's go. Welcome to the So This Is My Why podcast, where we talk to people about their whys and how they turn them into realities to inspire you to live your best life. And here's your host, Ling Ya. As a child, my eyes were glued to the TV. I think at a, at a very young age, I was wearing specs because like watch too much TV. I love just lying on the sofa, drinking my milk and I watch a lot of TV when I was young. I guess we shaped my path into what I'm doing today. And what about in high school? Were you already thinking about what you wanted to do? I think I sort of had an idea of what I wanted to do. I kind of knew I wanted to be in the media space. Exactly what? I don't think it was very clear back then. In Singapore, uh, we had to go through secondary school, junior college or polytechnic before going to university, right? After secondary school, I actually thought of going to get a diploma in film, but actually I wasn't 100% sure. So I went to junior college, which kind of gave, I guess, a broader kind of education than after that going to university. Was there a particular person or occasion that caused you to think, oh, I want to go into media or comms? Because later you also worked at Gateway Entertainment and you also worked on Vision. For me, I think generally the media space is very exciting. No matter me, it be broadcast, 
live shows or just documentary, etc. So I mean, gateway entertainment was just theater shows. Uh, we did magic shows in Singapore, in Malaysia, in China. I mean, I was very interested in that space. Tried some work there. Didn't feel I would last long in that area. Why do you feel like you won't last long? I think in Singapore, the industry is not huge for theater, and I guess. It's very draining physically and mentally because like it's really late nights. You have to be there call time early in the morning. Uh, you work late into the night. So I don't think it was something for me in the long run. So I thought, okay, I had my fun there. Let's go on and try something else. So you end up going to Wee Kim's Wee School of Communications and Information at Nanyang Technological University. What was the reasoning behind that? I knew I was going to do something related to the media industry. Wikimedia School is the best school in Singapore, I guess. <laughs> so that was one of I think it's one of the top schools in Asia, if I'm not wrong. Back then, when I was applying, I looked at it and they offered quite a good range of courses. Eventually, I went on to do a mix of broadcast and journalism, which is kind of like my work today, largely rooted in documentaries in journalism. So I think 2016, there was one particular assignment in the advanced photojournalism that really sparked the whole OGS and changed your life. I mean, what was that assignment about, and how did you conceptualize your project? We were in year three. Everyone says that print is dead. In the class, we were trying to figure out what's next. So we had an assignment where we were supposed to come up with a visual startup. I mean, we had crazy ideas. Uh, I mean, one of the crazy ideas there's wedding photography services, right? We wanted to provide funeral photography services to have some memories. Your loved ones' last events on Earth. It wasn't very conventional. I, I think there are such services, but it's probably not. One that you commonly hear of, <laughs> yeah. So we sat on that idea for a while. After that, we just thought, yeah, sounds a bit weird. Okay, maybe we try something else. The assignment was to create a startup. It was a time where there were many other digital publishers in the online space already, but we felt a lot of them were giving more content that were more functional in a sense that it is just for you to view and not for you to learn. Let's say top ten best places to go in the east, top ten best cafes. It wasn't so much about stories, so we thought, hey, why not? Let's try to tell stories in this space and see what happens. Even if we fail, nothing could go wrong because it's just an assignment, right? That was how we started. So we went out, we looked for stories. Then we started working on various pieces of videos. We put them out online. We named our page our grandfather story. Initially, it was not a very nice name. Uh, it was named Halves. So it was trying to tell two sides of a story, but we changed the name. I guess the day before we launched, because we thought like halves wasn't very catchy. So we changed the name. We published it. We pushed out the pitch. It went viral. Yeah. <laughs> Why our grandfather's story, though? Why that name? So the story behind that is that we did our research as well, talking to other publishers, finding out about their work, how they curate their content, etc. So there was someone that we talked to. They said for them, how they position themselves to their audience is that they are their capo neighbors, they are their nosy neighbors. So we thought, who would we be to our audience if we were telling stories? We were doing a lot of heritage content. If we were telling such stories, then we would probably be your grandfather. So then. Their grandfather story and just nice, you know. That that's the saying, right? Grandfather story. So like, okay, maybe our grandfather story. So the first video they posted in November 2016 was Fluffy Rainbows, Singapore's ice cream sandwich, which was a really really fun video. It was very、hmm. simple, I think, but very poignant as well. So how did you come upon that idea of that story? 
we were year three back then, right? In year two, I actually did another documentary. Um, it was a coffee documentary. And by chance, I, I went back to the shop to visit the coffee supplier. And I met someone there who was buying coffee and he was actually the manager of the bread confectionery. So they said, hey, you guys want to do a video about bread? Then like, okay. So I kept the contact. Then when I started working on this project, then that contact came back, I guess, into good use. And at that point of time, it was also driven by this article on BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed came up with an article dissing the ice cream bread, saying that you shouldn't eat ice cream with bread. It's the wrong way. So it caused a huge uproar in Singapore. I'm not sure about in Malaysia, but probably. So then I think the BuzzFeed had to take the article down and stuff. So we kind of wrote on that and said, okay, since we are shooting a video and there's this buzz around this going on, so why not we do something about rainbow bread, right? Like we always buy the ice cream bread, right? But we never knew how the bread is made. So we thought, okay, why not let's go to this place and let's shoot how they make it. And then you launched it on, I think, Facebook and within a week got 150,000 views. And then on YouTube as well as 128,000 views to date. So was there a marketing strategy behind you guys pushing it out that it just went viral like this? Even the Straits Time picked it up and talked about it. In the beginning, there was no concrete marketing strategy. It was purely what people were interested in, like what people were talking about. They were talking about the rainbow bread. Okay, let's put up something related to that. I mean, there was some thought in that, but it wasn't, okay, we're going to do one Instagram post and we're going to put like $1,000 at budget behind it, that kind of thing. I think it was really about, okay, guys, let's do something that people are talking about, show them something that they haven't seen before and hopefully we get somewhere. So it wasn't very detailed planning, I would say. I, I guess half of it was probably luck. So we shared it, our friends shared it, our family shared it. Then somehow it just went crazy. I mean, we were quite shocked as well when it went viral because our Facebook page was literally nothing. Like it started from zero. It just went crazy. I guess the name resonated with people as well. What were you guys thinking when it went viral? Were you thinking, oh, let's write on this, let's continue? Because I saw that you kept posting so many videos, at least once a month, sometimes five, six videos on the same day just released. You guys were clearly very serious from the start. <laughs> yes, I think we were quite serious. We, we took the assignment quite seriously. So we, we had a content plan schedule. What videos are we going to post? Uh, when are we going to post it? And you know what videos are we going to make? At that point of time, it was, let's complete the assignment, right? It wasn't like, let's start a business. How many videos yeah. were you guys supposed to be releasing? Not that many, I think. Uh, I, I can't recall, but... Probably maximum of five, I think. It wasn't a full-fledged half-year-long campaign or something. It was probably two months. But after that assignment, and we had another assignment, so we actually convinced our lecturer to turn that assignment into building on the first assignment. So we actually managed to continue that. So, I mean, that was quite fun. (laughs) So at what point did you decide to bring it from an assignment into a full-fledged digital media publishing company. Okay, uh, so after that semester, we thought it would be quite a waste if we just leave it. Uh, so after that semester, and then that was when we you know, decided to start something and you know, continue working on this as our, I guess, startup. I think at that point of time, there was nothing to lose. Huh? Even if we failed, we will still graduate, can go and find a job somewhere else. So it was really like, okay, let's just try. So very fortunately also, we had some support from uh, a seed investor to help us, who funded us to kickstart the process. 
your seed investor gave you $50,000, right? So how did that happen? We talked to the investor and we managed to convince them. I guess they had some money to spare as well. I guess that helped. But I mean, $50,000, honestly, okay, I mean, it's big, but it's not that big an amount of money, right? We showed the potential that it had, what we wanted to build and laid out a concrete path. Lah. So we took that to the investor and we said, hey, this is our plan. This is what we want to achieve. Hopefully, we can make some difference together, you know, and as well as a viable business out of this. I mean, very thankfully, our investor believed in us, even though we were just four undergrads. So we just started with making more and more videos like after that. Were the people around you, like your family, trying to stop you from doing this? Because at the end of the day, the four of you are comm students. None of you have a business background. And to do a passion and to run a business are two totally different things. I would say they are totally two different things and it's not easy to run a business. I don't think anybody tried to stop us at that point of time. So I guess most of our family members were quite supportive. But I mean, we were working crazy back then because we were still in school. So we were having internships, but also working on this startup. We were doing our final year. I think we put in a lot of hard work during that time, very little sleep. So the people around us were very supportive, which really helps, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you registered OGS in 2017 when you were still in school and you already had your own yeah, office. Yeah. So very, very serious. <laughs> yes. Were you guys doing anything to mitigate potential risk? Because I read there was this NUS study in 2017. At the time, local Singaporean startups were operating at a loss. 24% mm. had no revenue. So the odds, mm. you could say, were against you. I think we were very cautious right at the start. So in terms of spending, we really spend as little as possible. And while we were trying to build a branded content revenue stream, we looked to other sources of revenue. So while we were doing content, building our platform, we were doing some creative work for other clients. So that helped to bring in some revenue. But of course, the thing here is we have to keep a balance, right? Most of the time, what happens is people will just, oh, I have too much other creative work for other clients and I don't have time to do my own work, right? Don't have time to build my own product. So I think we were very disciplined about that. Okay, we're going to set aside this amount of time doing client work and then we're going to set aside this amount of time to do our own work. So that helped at the start to bring in some money so that we could sustain. So after a period of time, we completely dropped the client. We say, okay, no more client work. We are going to do our own work and we are going to focus on building the branded content revenue stream. So that was how we kind of started. I think it's important to have a revenue stream, even if it's random projects. It's just to bring in some money, sustain the company. Because in the long run, you, you don't want to close down. You just have to be very disciplined about it so that you don't get consumed by those works. If you can, don't do client work there. If you don't do client work, I mean, that's the best case scenario. But realistically, I think it's very difficult. Speaking of client work, I understand in 2017, you also got a $10,000 grant from NTU's Innovation and Enterprise. Arm, and they actually said that you needed to secure at least one corporate client within six months. So I'm wondering, mm. in that early period of OGS, how do you go about securing a corporate client? It was a lot of cold emails. So went about and we just dropped 
everyone like email saying that hey this is who we are this is what we do we tell stories you want to tell stories with us you know and make use of our platform our audience yeah and let's try something new i had to go on to linkedin connect with everyone drop them a message and say that hey this is us this is what we are doing you want to try out a project with us so that was really at the start i think we, we didn't really know people in the industry we are not established as a company it was really trying to establish a lot of connections and seeing if there are people who are willing to try out new things so then i think very fortunately we ended up with like i think our first client was nippon pain so we did a video with them because they wanted to try something new i guess because there are only so many ways to sell pain right uh, so then uh, they said like okay this time we're going to try telling a story so we did a story together with them about Hindu house blessings which was really interesting because the Hindus actually bring a cow to people's homes to bless the homes they want the cow to urinate and poo in the flat yeah, right? yeah. so that is a blessing yeah, yeah. so it's really cool it's like how the Chinese roll pineapple I guess but for the Hindus it's a bit different so that, that was a really cool story and a really cool client. Why would Nippon Pain, you know, do this? Because usually they already have ads that showcase their products, right? That showcase like, okay, this is the pain. This is what it's good at. It's odorless. There's the sumo there, etc. They needed to try other forms of marketing. Something a bit more soft sell. Something about stories. Something that their audience can probably relate with and give a character to the Nippon brand. So then it worked out pretty well there. On their social media channel, it was something fresh for the audience because if not most of the time you'll probably see an ad about pain right you're having a discount you're having a promotion or oh, this pain has these functions it was something different for them for their audience i'm still a bit puzzled how paint has anything to do with cows <laughs> <laughs> No, because it's like home blessings, right? So when you move into a new house, you need to have home blessings, you need to paint your house. I mean, the link is not very direct. Yeah, but you could see the branding there and you could see the new house and so on. I imagine all of you really, really had to hustle. So everyone, I suppose, was doing everything. But I imagine you also need more manpower, people who are willing to go full-time in with you as well to really create the content right so how did you plan it out how do you grow that team and that content while still remaining under budget <laughs> okay so we were still in school at that point of time so we had to hire someone we hired our senior two years our senior who graduated already so we said like hey uh we're doing this cool thing you want to come on board and try this out with us so very thankfully she said yes and we were like okay we worked together with her produced the stories and it was quite a fun time I guess then I think shortly after we we hired another senior yeah, so it was like two seniors working with us so that was how we kind of got through the very first period so I mean we, we needed help to be honest if we were to have done it by ourselves I think it would have been quite impossible were you very clear in terms of what market you were targeting and the kind of customers you were expecting to bring on board? Yeah. You guys were quite unique, right? There were not that many people creating the kind of content that you were creating. I think in terms of the space where each digital publisher sits, I think we were quite clear that uh, we are about stories, not so much about fashion, not so much about lifestyle, but it's really about stories. So in that sense, we were quite clear about that. And we were quite clear about who our audience was going to be. Like at a point of time, we were growing the Singapore audience, um, looking at people between 25 to 34, 
slightly older crowd, people who probably care about stories. Because I think if you're too young, you probably won't care about it. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, it's just that it probably won't catch your interest. I mean, but they'll grow old eventually and I think you'll matter to them one day. Lah. So we were quite clear about that. We were quite clear that we are going to have branded content on this platform. We are going to work with advertisers in Singapore who wanted to advertise their campaigns. I understand that you were profitable in your second year of operation, which is incredible. So how do you manage to get there? Because some of your first clients were like Tomasic, National Heritage Board. They were big clients who were willing to give you a chance when you were just starting. I think we grew our audience in the first year quite extensively. So we really put out content that they like, put out content that they want. And at the same time, we also trying very hard to build like a client base. I guess those two were the key things that helped us to get there. So being very conscious of what the audience wanted and how we can shape a product that fits both us, the audience and our clients. You know, the brand. So then, you know, we work really hard to chase after the brand. You know, saying that, hey, this is what we want to do with you. Why not give us a chance? Let's try it out. So I think those two were the key factors. I was looking through all your videos and I noticed that there are some videos that were really, really successful. There's this one with Grandma Leong, Singapore's 90-year-old hawker hmm. legend, 1.1 million. Then there's the $1 Nasi Lemak Promise, again, 1 million views. Mm. At this buffet restaurant, you pay as you wish, 9 million. So it seems like there is a trend, which is food. <laughs> People really care about food. So is this something yes. that you were aware of? And that's why you did so much on food as well? Yes, yes, you're right. I think I forgot to mention that. That's a really good point, yes. So at the start, we did a lot of food stories. I think maybe out of 10, maybe 7 of them, in various ways, uh, of course, we try not to you know, repeat, like tell it in the same way. Like, we, we put different treatments to the different stories uh, and we look for different kinds of food. But yes, at the start, we covered a lot of food content, which is why one of our content pillars is actually flavours. We cut back on that you know, after we established a rather extensive base of audience. So then we slowly calibrated um, the kind of topics that we were going for. Yeah, so today, um, I think food is probably not the largest kind of content that we do. Now, as I'll say, it's quite even now on the different topics. There are topics about like heritage, topics talking about inequality, topics talking about the underprivileged, etc. It's a better spread of content, I'll say. How do you decide on which content to focus and spend time on? Were you using like Google Trends or was it just, I happen to like this uncle's story who happens to be the last guy who's a street side barber and I'm just going to do it? Because some content creators, they really just look at trends, right? They really look at SEO and they want to ride that wave. So what was it like for you guys? We do look at trends, but they are not everything. I think one of the things, how we curate our stories comes from a very journalism background. One of the things we look at is news values. If you just Google it, you can probably find it, like news values. There are a few factors like audience size, how how close is this to the audience, etc. I guess it was quite rooted from that. And we kind of tweak it and look at also what would the audience like to hear and also look at what is lacking out there. So it's not always about what's trending and what everyone's already doing. It's also about things that people are not talking about, which is also, if you look at our YouTube channel, one of the series is called Can Ask Me. It's a talk show where we really talk about topics that people don't dare to talk about, don't want to talk about. Just because I guess Asians are shy. We really like try to suss out these kind of smaller topics that are difficult. But there's a 
isn't really one way to curate the content. Sometimes it's also by the feel of it, but of course influenced by some statistics and so on. But generally, try to look out for what the audience wants to see and what is kind of lacking out there. Because we want to fill up the space there. And at the end of the day, for us, it's really two things, entertain, but also educate. So that is what we always keep in mind. I'm just really intrigued because that whole point of what's not there yet, what hasn't been covered, the untold stories. How do you cover stories that you don't even know haven't been covered yet? There was one I was really intrigued by. There was this 12-year-old girl pursuing her passion as a tattoo artist. Such an obscure story. I mean, you must know someone who knows someone who knows her in order to find her, right? I would say like our journalists are very good at doing that. So we have a team of video journalists who look for the stories. And I would say we source them from everywhere and anywhere. Can be the chicken rice uncle you talk to when you're buying your lunch. Can be from the internet. Uh, it can be from the network that we built. So uh, there isn't really one place to get the stories. Most of the time, the thing is about being very capable and going to look for the stories. So I think when we are out, we are always looking out for things and questioning things. So we are all just very capable. If you are capable, you will find stories. What has been the most unique, capable way of you finding a story? The most memorable uh, stories was one that we chased for a year. So there was one morning I was on a shoot. It was at a wet market. I saw this basket of bean sprout husk being sun just lying there. Uh, I was very confused because like, I thought it was useless. I thought you probably threw it away. So I went to look for someone to ask. So I went to the vegetable store and asked the auntie, right? Why are you doing this? And she said, oh, it was being used for cho-cho, which is like the pillows that baby have, the small pillows like that they make for babies. I thought that was quite cool. We actually like wanted to do a story with her, but we had to wait for a year because like after that, she stopped making it because it was rainy season. Yeah, and they couldn't sun the beach for us. Then there was seventh month and we couldn't make it because like it's bad luck or something. So we waited with after a year and we finally did that story. So the vegetable auntie, she actually sons the beans from us and her sister sews like the pillows. So I guess it was just pretty cute. <laughs> and I imagine you must have really experimented to try and expand the OGS brand. So there must have been successes and there must have been failures as well. Could you share some mm. of the failures, the things that you tried that didn't work out? Hmm. Okay. I think there are a lot of topics that we've tried that didn't work out. Some of them, we try to tell stories in different ways, like maybe let's say more art house form. I mean, it might be nice for us, but maybe not for the audience. So we are always experimenting. So if you look at our YouTube channels, not every video is 1 million views. I think we've failed a lot. There are some videos that are just like 1,000 over views. So those are the videos that fail. I mean, you can't have 1 million views for everything, but we experiment a lot. And I guess we just learn from our failures. Why doesn't it work? What can we do to improve it? It's really experimenting on the different topics. So let's say we try out telling a story this way for this topic. If it doesn't work out, maybe we should try another way of telling it. So we probably won't stray away from talking about that topic. It's just about finding different ways to talk about it. Yeah, maybe it doesn't work so well in a form of a video. Maybe we can try Instagram stories. Maybe we should try TikTok. Maybe we should try, I don't know, an article or something. So I think we that's how we experiment. There for you to see. <laughs> yeah. I love that your standard for failure is a couple thousand views. <laughs> what about the successes? What were your big successes in terms of experimentation? Um, I think one of the biggest success, I would say, is Tenasme. So I think it, it was a series that really did very well in terms of the viewership. And I think it opened up a lot of conversations, which was 
very important for us. We don't just want to put out stuff that people only watch. I think we want to put out stuff that people will talk about, will reflect about. So from this whole series, we have received a lot of comments from the audience that they've shared this with their friends, they've connected with the stories, they've discussed it with their friends or teachers have shared this in their classes with their students, which was really amazing because I would say it's really one of our biggest success to create content that can value add to people's lives, something that they can watch and they can learn from. Can Ask Me is one of my favorite as well. I was diving into it and I just really love that you asked these unconventional questions and when I see them read the questions I go oh you're asking them these questions <laughs> how did this series come about because as I understand it, it's quite difficult to produce right it takes quite a long time a lot of money so how did you hmm. strategize bringing it to life when we started conceptualizing the series we knew we wanted something a long-form series on YouTube we really didn't think about money and we just thought about what is the current space lacking at the point of time i think we we just came to a conclusion that we lacks a place where we can have honest conversations and a safe space basically for people to talk about different topics so that was how it started yeah and also because i have one co-founder that really asked the most random questions and the most like unexpected questions and she's never shy about asking these questions she's also the the producer for the whole series i mean most of the videos uh, she's behind it that is kind of so she really asked the most crazy questions be like oh my god how do you dare to ask that so there is since then we just carried on and it's been doing quite okay so do the interviewees know these questions are coming or when they read it that's the first time they're saying it they don't know the questions beforehand for every interviewee that we invite on board we do a pre-interview with them to find out more about their stories but we don't give them a list of questions saying that okay these are the questions we are going to ask you so most of the time when they come here it's the first time they are seeing the questions so one of the stories yeah. that really touched me was something that you published in June 2019 it was the parents who have lost a child and it's gotten mm. over 5 million views and I was mm. really really moved because of just a subject matter and how did you even find these six parents i mean you can't exactly go around and be like who has lost hmm. a child and is willing to be interviewed in front of a camera for some of them it was friends friends some of them was we also partnered with an organization to look for these people it took a long time to find them not everyone was open to being interviewed and that's fine uh, nothing wrong with that but i mean there was a community that we were speaking to i mean those who came about were very willing to share their story because they wanted to help they wanted to i guess be a source of support for people who might be facing the same situation and we eventually settled on those profiles that you currently see there but there are still many people um, whom we have spoken to but eventually we couldn't film them because they felt like you know they just wanted to be anonymous for all the other stories on canvas may as well sometimes we work with organizations especially when the topics are very sensitive and because most of the times i would say we are not the experts i think we are really here to try to tell a story but we are not the experts in helping them with their particular situation it's usually better i'll say to work with an organization we avoid any other problems you know that may arise while we want to tell these stories we shouldn't have any negative impacts or make any negative impacts on their lives because some of these topics i forgave the driver who killed my sons or survivors of sexual mm. violence so very very heavy topics 
How do you mm, yes. maintain that level of sensitivity, if you will? Because as we talked about earlier, the questions are a bit random. For instance, mm. again, the one with the child passing on, like you start off with how do your child pass on? What was it like in the hospital? Do you go for baby showers? So these are very difficult questions. How do you know that you have gone too far? So we do a pre-interview with all our profiles, right? Before we do the actual interview. So during the pre-interview, we try as much as possible to see what's their comfort level. I mean, we try not to ask them the exact questions that we'll ask during the interview, but we'll speak to them, we'll talk to them, try to get a gauge of what's their comfort level, talking about their stories. So the pre-interview is... I would say very crucial to the makings of the video that you see. And every interview and pre-interview is actually very long. So the final product you see is probably 30 minutes. But for every interview, it probably lasts an hour or two. Pre-interviews, probably like we talk to them two or three times before the actual shoot. So I think we spend quite a lot of time connecting with them, making sure that we are here to tell the story in a responsible way. So I think one of the things that we think about a lot is treating them like humans. It's really like a relationship with them. Just being responsible when we are telling their stories. Have you ever seen any real-life impact that came out of Kenasme? Yes, I think we have had a lot of audience who wrote into us to say that after looking at the video, it was really helpful for them because some of them were stuck in the same situation and they need some form of support. For some of the profiles who came onto the show, it was good for them as well. I remember one of the profiles from the episode about life in prison. Like if they, they talked about how they were committing to this and this ensures that they have to protect their reputation and they cannot do funny things anymore. Which was really quite interesting. We never thought they would say something like that. And I think we have a lot of people who use these videos as educational materials, which is great because you very rarely get to hear from these people. The fact that we can put them together and present it in a form where it's easily accessible. Another arm that OGS has, O+, is your animation mm. illustration brand. Can you share with us the idea behind O+, and why you have it? We started because we were telling a lot of documentary stories, but there were some stories that had some limitations, but we still wanted to present them in a visually beautiful manner. There were some stories that were sensitive, or we had to protect people's identity, or there were some stories with just no visuals. There was nothing to shoot. So for example, things like mental health, it happens all in your head. If you were to shoot me talking about mental health, um, all you could shoot is my interview and that's it. So we wanted to explore different visual forms to try to tell a story. So that was how we ended up with Oplus, uh, a space where we present everything with illustrations, with animations, to try to tell stories in different ways that could still attract audiences. If you look at social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, it's all very visual. So we try to use like, you know, the visual form to communicate with the audience. I think you also do comic strips as well, right? Yes, the comic strips have been doing pretty well, I guess, on Instagram. You can't post it on YouTube, but the Instagram audience like love the comics. One of it is called Sincerely Singles, like series about singles. It's like slice of life. I think it's been doing quite well and people can relate to the stories. I think with like the comic form, it also allows us to put up more narrative stories, not necessarily like the usual documentary stories that we do, which is really fun. A lot of the stories are still drawn from personal real-life experiences from our writers. So they just talk about their lives. (laughs) 
Another offering that you have is something private podcast. So mm. what was the idea mm. behind that? How did it come about? Okay, the idea behind that was that there were a lot of conversations about women's health and wellness and we wanted to talk about them. And because the team consisted of largely females, so yeah, we thought, why not we start a podcast to talk about these things and I guess also because podcast was a way for us to tell stories in a more sensitive way without the need for visuals to dwell into certain topics in a deeper form so I mean podcast wise I think generally they're lo- much longer than Facebook videos right they allow more space to talk about certain things and also a level of anonymity for certain stories which are important so that was how we kind of started and I guess because um, women love to talk right? so yeah great space to have conversations so I think we managed to get various interviewees to talk about different issues which was like very interesting for us I mean, how has the reaction been? Because some of the topics are really interesting. It's making masturbation mainstream or orgasms or polyamorous relationships. I think it really allows us a space to explore. So I think we are grateful for that where we can just really talk about any and everything. So I think that the response has been very good. We get people writing into us and say that, wow, this is what I want to hear about out there. And also because our hosts and also the interviewees, they really share a lot about their own experience, which is, I guess, very helpful for the listeners, right? Because they are looking for something to relate to a form of support uh, or really just to hear more about people's experiences and learn from them. That was really great. And Nicole, like my colleague, yeah, who hosts the podcast, I mean, has been there from the start. So she's managed to build a relationship with the audience. I mean, she also like speaks to the audience, like talks to them on Instagram, etc. You know, to really just interact with them and talk to them about the different topics. I noticed she also has meet and greet sessions as well with listeners. So I yeah, suppose yes. people knowing her personally is what really drives the podcast too. Mm, yes, I mean the host is crucial. Your interviewee, right? And the host is the constant. So having the host there is really important. So she has been the one driving this and really helped. Well, I think it's a platform where she can speak to the audience and also as a form of support. And also it's a place where we can get feedback about what are the things that they would like to hear about. Looking back, you've only started in 2017. So it's only been three years and you already have 3 million views monthly. On YouTube, it's 250,000 followers. Instagram is almost 70,000. Facebook's over 300,000 followers. What do you think it is about OGS that really resonates with the people such that you have gained such a following in such a short period of time? I think one thing is that people are generally capable, but Asians don't dare to speak up and talk to people. So I think, yeah, we are always very curious in what's going on in people's lives or what's their story. But I think we just generally don't dare to ask. So I guess we are here to ask those questions. And that's how like we've managed to generate like so much attention and traffic. But I think people are really just generally curious what's going on, what's their story. Just that I think Singaporeans are shy. I think Malaysians are quite shy also. <laughs> Not that <Yeah>. different. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess that's how we managed to get so much attention because we really like go into people's lives, talk about their stories, things that you would probably want to ask, but you probably don't dare to ask or you just don't have the chance to ask yet. What do you feel have been the biggest milestones for you? 
I guess starting off as a startup from just being a school assignment, hiring our first hire, our second hire, and so on and so forth. Starting the different brands, so O+, something private. So I think those are pretty big milestones. And also, I guess in terms of the team, building the team has been quite a fun journey as well. We started off with just two people doing everything from the production to the post-production of publishing the videos. Now we have the creative team, we have the post-production team, we have the animation and illustration team, we have the business team, got our YouTube silver play button, aiming for go next, hopefully soon. So many, many different milestones. And I believe that you have also expanded because your aim is not just to tell Singaporean stories, but Southeast Asian stories. So you've gone to Mm. Malaysia. Some of your most recent videos were from Yogyakarta during COVID. Mm. So how do you go about doing that while based in Singapore? We couldn't fly there. We have a producer who's based there who did that story. We realized that we actually wanted to tell Southeast Asia stories to bring the region closer together. I think we are interlinked in many ways. We just don't really know much about each other. We did some Malaysia stories. We have a producer in Indonesia working on some stories as well. We've done some stories in like Vietnam. So in the future, increasingly, we'll try to tell more of these stories from these various countries. I mean, right now, it's a bit difficult. We're always looking for creatives from the different countries to try to see how we can work together to bring these stories to life. So is this a call for content creators to apply? Who are you looking for? Okay, to be honest, we don't have enough resources to start an office everywhere. But we work with freelancers who want to be able to tell stories in these countries. We are looking for director producers who work on documentary stories to work together with them to bring out stories in their home countries that they feel that are important you know, for the world to know about. We can't afford to have an office everywhere, maybe in the future. <laughs> yeah. Is there a particular platform that you focus on? Because I think as content creators, you always feel you need to be everywhere and then your attention is split Mm. because you can't focus and you can't exactly repurpose the same thing in all the platforms. So Mm. how do you go Mm. about thinking about these? I guess you probably won't have enough resources all the time. We are always lacking of resources. So I think it's thinking about which group of audience is important to you. So for example, if let's say the group of audience that's important to you is on TikTok, then that's where you should be. So we look at group of audience by demographics, um, age range, what are the type of people that we want to connect with. And then you decide from there where you want to pull your resources. I mean, after a while, you try to be everywhere, but I guess you can shift it once in a while. So I mean, previously, we started off from Facebook and then we moved on to YouTube. So now, like YouTube is still our main focus, but with other platforms as on the site, so Instagram, etc. If you look at our videos, I would say mainly they are still made for YouTube. One of the things that you always do is you basically feature a lot of people. And I think you've mentioned before that you always try and form relationships with these interviewees even Mm. after the video. So how do you do that? Okay, that's quite a difficult question. I think one of the things is that we all work on stories that we are interested in. We're personally invested in it. I guess that really helps. We just like to make friends, I guess. Even to today, like you know, the video journalists, they go out, they work on a story, they become friends with their profiles. And we just like to talk to people. Just a generally quite friendly punch. Even today, if I pass by a shop where the profiles are, I'll just say hi to them. I mean, there isn't really a method. It's just keeping in touch with them in whatever ways you can, not. So COVID has been with us for more than a year now. Mm. How has it impacted you personally and also OGS? When COVID, we, we all had to stay home 
for three, four months. That was difficult because it meant that we couldn't go out to tell stories. We pivoted to using Zoom, doing video calls. We did a lot more comics during that time. So that period was extremely difficult, I would say, because a large part of our work is going out to talk to people. And just suddenly, we couldn't do that anymore. We had to change the way we tell stories, shooting like on Zoom, just calling people. So that was like extremely difficult. So after the whole circuit breaker, then it got a bit better. We could slowly, in small groups, try to go back to telling stories again. And it helped that we work in small teams. So it's not like a film crew of 20, 30 people. It was just two or three people after circuit breaker. And we could start to go out and tell stories again. And what about the digital consumption? I imagine it must have increased since everyone was stuck at home, can't do anything else, but perhaps the type of consumption was different. And I think you focused more on food, right? Because everyone was cooking at home. We had a series where we invited people to cook with us. I, I can't really cook very well. So we had a video about sourdough. We had a video about this dish called kachampu. I think we kind of looked at what people were doing, what they were looking for, stuff that they could probably try out themselves as well. So we did a series of home cooking videos. For Singapore at that part of time, there was also general elections. So we also did a bit of elections content, quite interesting as well, but also very stressful. You were also helping your community as well, right? You were partnering with different content creators like TripAdvisor and Hawkers to help them mm. go through this period. So we were working with them to profile like stories and businesses that needed help. During that whole period, it was very challenging for especially the hawkers uh, or small businesses. So we worked together with them to try to drive traffic. Hopefully, we can help them to generate some sort of revenue so that you know they can sustain their businesses. What are your future plans? I mean, we definitely hope to tell more stories in the region. Hopefully, in, I guess, the next couple of years. The other dream is to continue to grow our brands. So Oplus, something private. I think they're not huge now to grow them bigger and to be able to tell like, these stories to our audience. Do you feel your view of life has changed after interacting with all these people and telling all these different stories? Yeah, I think I would say I used to think that Singapore is quite boring. I don't think so now. After doing so many stories, hearing from so many people, discovering so many things in Singapore, I guess my view on that kind of changed. Singapore is a very exciting space. I'm sure Malaysia, Indonesia, Vietnam, etc. Like all the other countries are as well. I think we just tend not to look at ourselves. We just tend to look outwards. But I guess fortunately, COVID has forced us to look inwards, which is great. So people are rediscovering things in their home countries, right? Is there anything that we the listeners can do to help make your life better share your stories with us i think that that would be really cool i mean just write into us drop us a message on our social media platform it would be really cool you know if we can hear your stories and see you know if we can turn that into something nice for the audience and of course i mean watch our videos subscribe to our channels but i think share your stories with us what kind of stories are you looking for i mean it can be about anything about yourself about your favorite food, your favorite hawker, or your neighbors. We want to hear everything. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like you have found your why? I would say yes. I think for me, it's about really entertaining and educating. That is really what like, is important for me. I guess making an impact in this world, uh, you know, while I'm here. What kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? I haven't really thought about that. But I guess something that 
can continue to be there while I'm gone, you know, thriving by itself. A place where people can discover things and constantly learn from it. Because I think the content that we do, we like to call it timeless. So something that you can look at it now, you learn something from it. Maybe two years later, you look at it, you learn something again. I, I guess that is what I hope to leave behind, something that can constantly maybe teach you something. And what do you think are the most important qualities a successful person should have? You have to be really hardworking. I think you need to take risks and really not be afraid to fail. So I think these are some of the important qualities that I think is important for me. I mean, not to say I'm successful, but I mean, these are important to me. Because if you, you work really hard, you try, if you fail, that's fine. You know? Just keep going, keep trying. And I think eventually you will lead you somewhere. Where can people go to connect with you and support you and what OGS is doing? Connect with me on LinkedIn. Just search for Ng Kai Yuan, you'll find me. Search for Our Grandfather Story, you'll find it as well. You can go to our YouTube channel, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok as well. So just search for Our Grandfather Story. And that was the end of episode 37. The transcripts and links to everything we've just talked about can be found at sothismywhy.com forward slash 37. Even updates on the latest episodes as well as other fascinating and inspiring things I've read over the week, you can sign up for the weekly newsletter, also at the show notes link, so thisismywhy.com forward slash 37. And stay tuned for next Sunday, because we'll be meeting a Korean-American VC founder who was once classmates with John Legend, a serial entrepreneur, whose music company received a platinum record for collaborating with Grammy Award winner Brandy, has built a fund that invests in companies fighting the climate crisis and enhancing sustainability. Is a father of three kids, a lay preacher, and a vlogger whose videos have completely taken off and raking over a million views after a chance meeting with Nasser of Nas Daily. If you want to hear about his story, don't forget to subscribe and see you next Sunday.